morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, October 10th, we're studying... We're starting a new series here on Sharper Iron that will take us through the book of Joshua. We just finished Deuteronomy last week. Moses has died, but the Lord has promised that Joshua will be the next leader for his people. And Israel has not yet crossed the Jordan River, but the Lord has promised he will bring them into the promised land. The book of Joshua records how the Lord fulfills these promises that he has made to his people. And that leads us to trust that he will continue to keep his promises to us in his son, Jesus Christ. Today's show will introduce the book as a whole and study the first chapter, Joshua 1, verses 1 to 18. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, Professor A.D. Harstad. Professor Harstad serves as professor of exegetical theology at Bethany Lutheran Theological Seminary in Mankato, Minnesota. He is also the author of the commentary on the book of Joshua in the Concordia Commentary Series from Concordia Publishing House. Professor Harstad, welcome back to Sharper Iron. I'm really happy to be back with you, Tim. So as we get started today, Professor Harstad, we're, we're starting Joshua. We just finished Deuteronomy. The transition is, is really rather seamless. Just, just remind us, what did we see in Deuteronomy? How's that going to continue into Joshua? Yeah, there we are still on the plains of Moab. Uh, that's the way all of the book of Deuteronomy was. So the location is the same as the book of Joshua begins. Uh, so Moses has died, however, and they have mourned for 30 days, the usual time of mourning, so that we get that information at the end of Deuteronomy. And we also get this uh, review of information at, of Deuteronomy that uh, Moses had laid his hands on Joshua, and so he receives the spirit. Uh, he is commissioned to be the next uh, leader of Israel. So, yes, the end of Deuteronomy and the beginning of uh, Joshua are really totally seamless. If, if you like, I can just read the last few words of uh, Deuteronomy and the beginning of Joshua. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. So um, Moses was 120 years old at his death. His eyes had not grown dim and his vigor had not declined. So the children of Israel wept for Moses in the Arab of Moab for 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel listened to him and did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now I'm going to go right to uh, the beginning of Joshua. We'll just see how seamless it is. This is what happened after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, the attendant of Moses, Moses, my servant, is dead. So prepared across the Jordan, etc. So different authors, yes. Uh, I shouldn't say that absolutely. 
Well, that, that, I was I, when you said that, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. So different authors, we, we talked a little bit about this when we closed the book of Deuteronomy, that Deuteronomy 34 is likely not written by Moses as yeah. it recounts his death. And, and Joshua has often been suggested as the potential author. Yeah. So who are we talking about with authorship for, for Joshua? Well, uh, authorship, author is unnamed. So it's an open question for us. Um, some say it may well be Joshua himself, and then that somebody else recorded the uh, the uh, occasion of his death, maybe the high priest. Um, but I tend to think that it's somebody down the line uh, after Joshua's time that wrote the book of Joshua. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because of uh, several indications in the book, and one of the big ones is the phrase, to this day, this is Hmm. taking place. To this day, this is here. To this day, this is here. That implies that some time has elapsed between the event that's just recorded in Joshua and the writing about that event. Like the stones that got piled up, they're there to this day. Well, does that mean the very next day? No, it means down the line farther. So that's one of my main reasons for saying that somebody after the time of Joshua probably wrote the book, but it's pure opinion. Mm. Well, bringing up the time of Joshua then, what time period are we talking about? I think we said 1406 for the book of Deuteronomy. That's where we're, we're picking up. What's, what is the time frame for Joshua? And, and there I mean primarily the events of the book of Joshua. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're starting in 1406. Remember, it's just 30 days after Moses has died, and he died in the spring of 46. So uh, <clears throat> then we do get uh, chronological information that Israel soon celebrates the Passover, <clears throat> and, and that is March, April. So it's still the spring uh, of that same year, 1406 uh, BC. And then we get some other chronological information that it's based on the age of Caleb, who crosses with Joshua and the rest of Israel, that uh, Caleb was. Uh, 78 years old when they crossed the river, and then he's 85 when the conquest, the intensive part of the conquest, has uh, been finished. So that gives us about seven years for the intensive conquest of the land of Canaan under Joshua. <laughs> and then uh, Joshua lives until he's 110. So the events of Joshua beginning to end, maybe about 30 years of time span uh, is is happening here. Okay, so if we're starting in 1406 BC, then we're in the, what, 1380s, 1370s BC by the end of the book? Remember, I have COVID brain, so I'm not Yeah, gonna... <laughs> well, and I am I know math, but whenever you have to do math with BC, my, my, my mind doesn't want to work the right way. That's right. You're so, a math major, aren't you? I that's read That's right. That. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. So, let's see. 30. Yeah. So, in the, the 14, uh, yeah. So, the 14, or excuse me, 13. 70s BC is probably we're going to we're going to end the book of Joshua again about a span of 30 years. Yep. Okay. So okay, good. Well, what in those 30 years then? What what happens in the book of Deuteronomy? If I if or not Deuteronomy, if I recall when we talked about the book of Deuteronomy, there's basically two things that happen in Deuteronomy: Moses preaches and Moses dies. (laughs) Uh, More things happen in Joshua. What what kind of events are we going to see? Well, 
First of all, we get the preparations for the conquest, and part of that includes the crossing of the Jordan River. So that's the first part, you know, sending out of the, the spies first to check out the land, and then uh, the crossing of the river with the whole nation, uh, followed by the conquest. And the first big battle there is Jericho. So preparations for conquering the land, then the conquering of the land, and then the distribution of the land in the second half of the book. And then at the very end, um, speeches that relate to faithful living in the land now that it's been conquered. And finally, the death of uh, Joshua at the end. All right. So that's what happens in the book of Joshua. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of historical information that we get in the book of Joshua. What's the, what's the theology? What are some of the, the themes that we need to see in this book? I love talking about the theme of, of Joshua because I just don't have to guess uh, twice. The author just kind of jumps up and down and, and says, and this appears in chapter 21 and in 23. Uh, he says, um, every good word that the Lord spoke came about. Not one good word that the Lord spoke Fell, that's the Hebrew idiom, nafal, the Hebrew verb to fall. Not one fell. Everyone came about. So the, the big theological theme is that whatever God promises is going to transpire. And of course, the big promise way back to Abraham, well, two big promises, the land and his seed coming to bless the whole world. Um, and uh, that those things are going to take place for sure, according to the book of Joshua and partial fulfillment in Joshua. Of course, you and I know the birth of the seed of Abraham in the little town called Bethlehem. So great theology is uh, there in, the, in that one single theme. All right. So not, not one good word of the Lord's fell. They all came to pass. All that he spoke, he accomplished. So the, the faithfulness of the Lord, his keeping of his promises, this is what we will see in the book of Joshua. And of course, as you said, was when we read that as Christians, we can't help but think of the ways that the Lord Jesus has fulfilled that. The, the verse that comes to my mind is in I think it's in Second Corinthians one where Paul says all the promises of God find their yes mm -hmm. in Christ Jesus. It, it seems like the book of Joshua falls right in line with that that same verse. I wonder if Paul was thinking about that these very verses that we're talking about in chapter twenty one and twenty three of uh, Joshua. Could be he was. So with with that, you know, what perhaps Paul had the book of Joshua in mind when when he was thinking about how do we see the book of Joshua come into play in the New Testament. Um, I can mention some direct references in the New Testament. Um, sure, go go ahead. We've got, uh, excuse me again, <clears throat> we've got Rahab showing up a couple of times and uh, how she had the spies and so forth, and she is presented as a woman of faith. And Rahab also appears in the genealogy of Jesus because 
Jesus comes from her line. And then we get the things that, uh, well, Joshua's name, let's talk about that. Joshua's name is identical to that of Jesus. So, I mean, what a great connection. There is no difference at all between their names. Yehoshua in Hebrew got shortened a little bit to Yeshua. And Yeshua, when it got to Greek, uh, got to be Jesus or Jesus, turning into English, and we got Jesus. So Joshua in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New are identical names. They both mean the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. And then we get uh, what Joshua only partially did, but Jesus did fully. Um, that shows up in Hebrews, uh, where the author of Hebrews says, if, if, if Joshua had given them rest, there would not be spoken of another day of rest. And then that is the rest that Jesus won. So Joshua could give rest by conquering the Canaanites and Israel could settle down and feel secure, psychological rest, physical rest, no more wandering, but only Jesus can provide spiritual rest, peace with God through the forgiveness of sins. All right. So oh, did you have more? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um. Well, I'll mention one more because it shows up here in the first chapter right away. Uh, the great promise of, of God to Joshua, I will never leave you or forsake you. And um, that shows up again in the book of Hebrews. Again, Hebrews loves the book of Joshua, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and um, the, the book of Hebrews quotes that and, and then applies it and says, well, you know, God says he'll never leave you nor forsake you, then don't worry about money. Don't, you know, be content with the things that you have. Don't worry. You got the presence of God. What what more do you need for security and, and peace than, than just that? Mm, yeah, yeah. So a couple of ways then that the book of Joshua shows up into the New Testament, which is you know, coming out of Deuteronomy, which we said is just, you know, I think you said essential and quintessential for the Old Testament, and then just so influential on the New Testament. Maybe the book of Joshua seems like, oh, we're kind of taking a step back, but but no, this is this is a key part of the entire scriptural witness and, and really serves to, I mean, it, this is a pretty key transition within the the history of the people of Israel, I think. You know, I mean, we've got Moses, who's been the guy for so long. Now we're moving into Joshua. This is a and the the promise of the land finally f fulfilled. This is a pretty key moment in Israel's history, I think. Huge, brand new era, epic. Israel had had only one national leader until now, and he he died. Now what we want to say? Well. God had taken care of that earlier with the commissioning of Joshua. But brand new era, without the great prophet and the mediator, the Sinai covenant and all that, and yet God will see success for his people Israel. Mm. With with this new leader, Joshua, let, let's talk a little bit about him. We've we've gotten to know Moses pretty well. And, and I remember you and I talked about Moses' life being divided into th to three parts, the first 40 in Egypt, the next 40 in Midian, and the last 40 leading the people of Israel and getting to know him a little bit. What should we know about, about Joshua as a, as a leader, as a person? Well, he would have been born in the years of slavery in Egypt, so he knew that life. 
Um, his name shows up for the first time in the book of Exodus when Israel is fighting the Amalekites. That's uh, Exodus 17. And there he is, obviously, the general. He's the one leading the battle down below while faithful Aaron holds up uh, Moses' hands to signal the victory is from the Lord as the great prophet holds his hands up. But Joshua is the general down below. And he gets the, um, the name, well, his name initially was Hosea, which means salvation. And Moses lengthened his name to Yehoshua, which means the Lord is salvation. Uh, so we get that bit of a name change mentioned in the book of Numbers. Um, so he's the general, and then he is called, and this is going to show up in, again in um, Joshua 1, he's called the attendant of Moses. Msharet is the uh, Hebrew word. Uh, Sharat is a verb that means simply to wait on, to attend to, like a waiter at a table. Uh, he's the aide-de-camp, if you like the French term, for um, Moses. So that's how, that's his title initially, aid to Moses. At the very end of the book, he finally gets a very honorific title. Just like Moses, he is called the servant of the Lord, Ebed Adonai. So with, with Joshua then bearing those titles and, you know, having those job descriptions, how how should we think of him? When I think of Moses, I think of prophet first and foremost. I mean, is Joshua a prophet? He, he's a general. He's a leader. What? Where does? How do we classify him among the the heroes of the faith? I think all I can do rightly uh, is to use those two terms that I just used right from the Bible. You know, the servant of the Lord and the attendant of Moses, but, but he preaches like everything, you know, he mm. speaks to the people, he's the leader of the nation. Uh, so, do I, but I don't want to call him a prophet because the Bible doesn't call him that. He preaches faithfully the word of God for God as a prophet does, you know, Navi, someone who speaks sure. for someone else. Uh, but he's not called that in the, in the Bible and he's not, not a priest. That was the line of Aaron. Uh, Moses' brother that are the priests. So, and he's not a king because the kings wouldn't be around for another 400 years. So those three great offices, he did not hold those offices. He was simply the general, the leader of the nation, uh, the preacher, <laughs> the motivational speaker for the, for the nation for those years. Um, that's his wonderful God-given role. Mm. Well, and, and as you said, that title, the servant of the Lord, is is no small matter either, particularly yeah. since it is applied to to Moses, who comes before Joshua. And then just thinking, I mean, when I hear the servant of the Lord, I always think of the prophet Isaiah sure. and how that he speaks about Jesus. So I, I, maybe just even in that title, you're already seeing how Joshua is going to be a forerunner, a type of Christ. Well, even, you know, Jesus is called, of course, the servant Right. You know, the, the suffering servant, true, but he's the, right. the servant of the Lord. So we get that great theological connection. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the text. We get to talk about Joshua chapter 1 today. So we, we pick up in the first verse. 
After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go." I'll pause there. That takes us through verse nine. Uh, Professor Harstad, you you read a couple of verses already from the first section or first part of Joshua here. And, and so, you know, we set the scene. Moses has died. Now the Lord is speaking to Joshua, who is Moses's assistant, as you also mentioned. How does the Lord begin in speaking to Joshua? Well, um, he says something quite obvious in the beginning, <laughs> Moses, my servant, is dead. Well, w- we knew that, didn't we? So the question is, why does he say that to uh, Joshua? Um, it's obviously got implications. Moses wasn't going to be able to cross the river and uh, enter the promised land. Well, now he's dead. So the implication is, okay. The stage is set, and now we can go anytime. Um, and and that shows up right away in the next phrase there. But Moses, my servant, is dead. So prepared to cross the Jordan that lies in front of you. But it sounds a little strange that we just hear this blank statement: "Moses, my servant, is dead." <laughs> well, All right. right, we we knew that. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. But but so so the the force of it then is okay. Hey, it's time to go. It, Moses yeah. has died. That generation that I said wouldn't enter into the promised land, other than Joshua and Caleb, they have all died in the wilderness. So now it is time. Get ready to go. And and the Lord then begins to describe this with some and that there's you know there's so many promises in in this text that we've read so far. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you. That's my promise. And then we get a description of this land, which is pretty, pretty broad. If, if I recall correctly, Professor Harstad, you enjoy geography. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is, is the Lord describing here pretty much the, the whole of the promised land to Joshua? At its very widest extent. And only during the time of David did it extend that far away up to the uh, Euphrates River. So, um, yes, it's uh, these um, geographical markers here. Um, once again, it is from the wilderness and from Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, 
all the land of the Hittites as far as the Mediterranean where the sun sets. So you got four points. It's like putting a great big X uh, between those points and covering the whole whole land there. So very generous promise. And had Israel remained faithful, of course, they would have maintained that. And uh, would that they would have, if we use a little archaic English. Uh, but it didn't didn't uh, work that way. But as far as God is concerned, his promises stand. And they did have that full extent when they were faithful. And, and you said that they do attain this distance or this this extent of territory under King David eventually? Uh, yes, but that would, you know, uh, wait uh, 400 years. Uh, That's right. Okay. King David. So, yes. But as, but as far as Joshua is concerned, although he doesn't see that greatest extent within his lifetime, as far as Joshua is concerned, based on what the Lord says, it, it should be good as done, right? I mean, that's right. kind of what's going on here with the Lord's words. It's, it sounds like, look, Joshua, here's here's this huge land in front of you, but there's there's no need to be afraid here because I've made my promise, and so it's it's as good as done for you, even if you don't get to see it all in your own lifetime. Yeah, the prophetic perfect uh, tense is often used. Uh, I have given it to you, you know. It is good as done when God says it, because remember the theme of the book, whatever God says is going to happen. No words fall to the ground without being fulfilled. They get fulfilled. So, yes, it's it's a done deal as far as God is concerned. Now, just take advantage of that, Israel, through faith, through faith. Keep the covenant. Show that you are the people of God uh, through your faith show, showing up in your actions. Mm, that's right. Yeah. So take all those commands of Moses to heart from the book of Deuteronomy, all his, his urgings of the people to remain faithful, to love the Lord, their God, to listen to his word, take all that to heart, live by faith. These promises are in fact yours. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep looking at these promises, both to Israel and to Joshua on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking about Joshua chapter one with Professor A.D. Harstad. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe. Become a patron. 
and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, October 10th. We're studying Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 18 with Professor A.D. Harstad. He serves as Professor of Exegetical Theology at Bethany Lutheran Theological Seminary in Mankato, Minnesota, and he is also the author of the commentary on Joshua in the Concordia Commentary Series from Concordia Publishing House. Professor Harstad, prior to the break, we left off about verse 5. The Lord has promised Joshua, every place your foot treads upon, I give to you. No one will stand upon before you. And he's described the greatest extent of the land possible. As the, the text continues, it, it sounds like the words begin to be focused a little bit more, particularly to Joshua himself as a leader, as a you know someone who's going to succeed Moses, that's those are big shoes to fill. It sounds like the Lord is really preparing him for this monumental task that He's got before him. And when we hear one thing that I think has to be important is because because it's repeated, be strong and courageous. I mean, mm-hmm. The Lord tells Joshua that three times, so it must be pretty important. Yeah, um, why not be strong and courageous? Uh, he's, God has commissioned him through. Uh, Moses, uh, he's he said, <laughs> wherever your foot walks, you're you're going to have it. Just just do it. Lead the army of Israel, and and it will be yours. Uh, over strong enemies, you will be victorious. So why not be strong and courageous? But you and I need that encouragement often too. Uh, it's, we get weary and wimpy uh, when we don't know the promises of God or we doubt the promises of God, skeptical of this and that, uh, we could be strong and courageous. Um, And that is the encouragement. Yes, specifically to to, um, Joshua here. But remember, some of these promises are broadened to to Christians in the New Testament. So Uh, for us too. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned the the way the author of Hebrews picks this up mm-hmm. in his epistle as well. Yeah, yeah. This this matter of of being strong and courageous and and what you said, man, I I know I felt that. We we get weary and wimpy when we don't know the promises of God. I I I find this important that you know, we keep the strength and the courage attached to the promises of God. This is this is more than the Lord telling Joshua something like, you know, man up, you know, buck up, <laughs> keep your chin up, kind of thing, as yeah. if he's got it in himself. Yeah. I mean, this is this is something much bigger and, and specifically Christian than that. This is the Lord calling Joshua back to those promises, and it is from those promises that that the strength and the courage actually come from, and and the same then would be true for us. Yeah, exactly. That umbrella promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, you know, same as Jesus promised. I'm with you always to the end of the age. So the the continuous presence of God with us. Uh, I don't even want to use the word continual because it's continuous all the time, not here and there, but uh, daily, but minute, second by second, he's with us. So why shouldn't we? Be Christian men and women with courage and strength. And uh, we got another great big fat reason uh, to be strong, and that is because of the the word um, that'll come up in our next uh, conversation, I'm sure, right here now. 
Yeah, that, that's right. Because yeah, that's that's where the Lord directs Joshua after you know in, into verse six, where he says, "Be strong and very courageous." The second time, and then he brings up doing this law, this word, the Torah, that Moses, my servant, commanded you. So the the strength and the courage, the Lord attaches that to the word that he's just given Moses to preach, and now Joshua has that. Yeah. Remember that uh, Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible, so those books are extant now for Joshua. And uh, don't turn to the right or to the left of it. That is, don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. It has all you need to be strong and courageous and carry out your work. Um, So power of the word uh, to direct you and motivate your life, uh, no matter how tough the going sometimes. Mm. So, I mean, when we understand, you know, all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you, should should we understand that very broadly? Like, and maybe this isn't a question we can answer with certainty, but are these the five books of Moses? Is this Deuteronomy in particular? Is Or the Word of God? Any idea? Well, I think the general principle that we Bible interpreters should use is if the uh, Scripture does itself does not narrow the meaning, we shouldn't narrow it either. So let it be as broad then as uh, possible. And okay. to me, it's, it's the whole it's the whole Torah, the whole instruction of the Lord, Genesis 1-1 through the end of Deuteronomy. Uh, that's what uh, um, Joshua can derive his strength from. Just don't turn to the left or the right. Once again, don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. It has what you need, and then you will act faithfully. There are some other key phrases there when, when it comes to this word, this book of the law. <clears throat> uh, and, and it's this word, meditate on it day and night. I love that word because it means uh you can imagine somebody praying fervently, privately, but they're saying the words out loud. They're kind of mumbling. Yeah. Um, and that's the meaning of, of that word, uh, to, uh, to meditate, to, to have a low audible sound. Um, but, but it connotes deep thought and pondering, right? Like Mary keeping all these things and pondering them in her heart. That's the way uh, Joshua is to use the word. Let's let's really think about this promise, uh, Joshua. And let's really think about this command that you are to do. And don't, don't just take it so casually, but meditate on it, ponder it. Hmm. But I've, I've, I believe this is the same word that's used in Psalm 1, verse 2, where, you know, the, the blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And then in verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I've, I've heard it described before similar to a, a cow chewing its cud that you just kind of I mean, and even the word ruminate is, yeah. is related. You, ru- you, know, you ruminate on it. You, you just roll it over and over in your mind, yeah. plumbing the depths that's there for you in God's word. Yeah, that's a nice parallel term, isn't it? Because we use that animal action to uh, connote this, this 
real deep, careful thought. And yes, it is the same verb there, which which makes us say that the the author of Psalm one was inspired by the Joshua text. You know, mm. meditate on yeah, it. Yeah. So what I mean, what is what does that look like for for a Christian? This idea of meditating on God's word day and night, chewing it, ruminating. How how do we put that into practice? Well, it means that any time, any place, we can, of course, remember the passages that we know, remember the promises that we know, even when we don't have the Bible right in our faces, and all that. Uh, but daily, daily life, uh, you know, that was a theme of uh, Moses too, wasn't it? That, you know, um, think about this as as you walk on the road, as you're at your home, and and all these, it, it a daily, constant thing. You're, you're you're living under the promises of your God and under the word of your God. Draw draw on it to wherever you are. Ponder ponder its thoughts so that your actions then are shaped by by what you really know from the word and not your fears and doubts that uh, are contrary to the word mm, yeah that's, that's that's very helpful i'm i'm reminded also of of the way martin luther speaks and i i forget if it's his preface to the small or large catechism where he talks about how he comes back to those texts of the catechism, the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer. He comes back to them every day as a, a student who who just can't keep learn. I mean, who can't help but keep learning. And every time he comes back to just those those very simple texts, there's always more there for him. You know, the the first commandment: "You shall have no other gods." The most basic thing that God can give us. There's always more for us to to chew on, to ruminate over, to to put into practice in our own lives. Uh, to, you know, to, to look around the world that we live in or the situations that I face. How how is this teaching me? How can I learn to fear, love, and trust in God? And in this very situation, you know that that I, I think is is a part of this. And and even in those most basic texts that we learned as as children, whether it's you know the Catechism or a text like John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. I mean, just to take those and, and keep them in our hearts, on our lips. This is what Joshua was given to do for the for the greatest task imaginable. Who, who among us has ever had to lead a, a nation this large? And yet God gives us that same gift for, for just the simple things of, of daily life. There is so much there in his word. Yeah, what thoughtful Christian hasn't arrived at what you just said there? That, that uh, oh, I've, I've heard that passage for years never meant that much to me. And now all of a sudden, oh, I've thought about it because I'm in this circumstance. And boy, I need to put that into practice now and and act on that promise of, of God. Um, we, ne- we never stop growing as we meditate day and night on, on the word. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I was I I was just having that conversation with someone. We were we were talking about you know we we know that this is true, 
and and now we have an opportunity to to actually trust that it is true to to put our faith in that word of god and to to live according to that word of god and, and that happens the more that the word of god is on our lips that we meditate upon it day and night and then as the lord tells joshua that you would be careful to do it because that is that is good i mean the, he talks about being made prosperous and having good success so when we when we do these things the lord does give us his blessings in this life for sure that's another one of the promises that the, the, what I say in my word really works, and uh, you you will be prosperous. Now, it means prosper and be successful according to God's definition of those words, right? right. It doesn't yeah. mean having the biggest barns loaded with the most stuff necessarily, although it can mean that sometimes too. But... Um, mm-hmm. Real spiritual, godly success, and one of the big um, blessings there is contentment, isn't it? Being content yeah. with whatever we have—that's that's a huge success to arrive at that point in life, isn't it? To really be content uh, with what what God has given us and use, using his gifts to the best of our ability under his direction. But contentment, that's great gain, according to the Bible. Godliness yes. with contentment is great gain. Yeah, yeah. Well, excellent words, Professor Harstad. I really appreciate that. That's that's fantastic. So in, in verse, we, when we come to verse 9, yeah, this is, I think, this is the one that I know I've used as a confirmation verse for youth confirmands before. Uh, this is where the Lord repeats now for the third time, mm-hmm. be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Help us to, to summarize this section before we move into the next set of verses. Mm-hmm. Well, it's all encouragement, isn't it? Uh, so yeah. just uh, that is the encouragement section uh, as, as soon as uh, it is clear that Joshua is the new man, and God is not going to uh, leave Joshua alone without that encouragement. So he's equipping him. Um, yeah, he's an army man, and he knows the equipment, the war, swords, and all that good stuff. But this is the much greater, greater equipment, as Paul speaks about the equipment of a of a Christian soldier in the New Testament. Mm. Well, let's go ahead and take a look at the rest of our text today. We're picking up now in Joshua 1, verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. 
Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. That takes us to the end of our text, the end of Joshua chapter one. Professor Harstad, so Joshua has heard the word of the Lord in the first nine verses, and now it's his turn to speak to the people. Now, this isn't the, I suppose, preaching quite as much as as you were mentioning earlier. When I think of Joshua preaching, I, I tend to think of the latter chapters of the book. Mm-hmm. But I, I suppose there there's a sense of, of preaching of sorts. He's heard the Lord say, hey, Moses is dead. It's time to get going. And now Joshua is telling the people, hey, it's time to get going. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, does, how does Joshua get that conversation started with these officers of the people? Yeah, well, first, it's interesting that uh, Joshua has learned from Moses that you can't do everything yourself. So Joshua is making use of these God-given officers, right? It's those right. people yeah. who go through the camp, and they're speaking now for Joshua and for the Lord. But uh, get get ready. So that, that was a big lesson that, well, first of all, Moses had learned from his father-in-law, Jethro, and, uh, and the Lord liked that arrangement to, to have these um, underlings and delegate duties. You know, pastor can't do it all. Teacher can't do it all. Don't be afraid to delegate. Delegate. You have more power when you delegate. I heard somebody say yesterday on 60 Minutes, I think it was, yeah, that uh, more power than you de- when you delegate than when you do it, try to do everything yourself. Um, of course, it calls for cooperation, doesn't it? And we see total cooperation here in, the, in this. This is the refreshing thing about this part of uh, the book. Um all the complaints that Moses got for all these years. And now Joshua, as he starts out, oh, yes, whatever you say, we'll do. And they mean it and and all of that. So uh, we've got these three or two different categories here. All of Israel is to get ready. But now the, these special, the special group, uh, the Reuben, Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh, uh, and we know their history from uh, earlier in the book of Numbers and so forth. We can go into that more, but I don't know if I really answered the question that you asked me. If- no, that was that was helpful. So, I mean, we see Joshua taking a page out of Moses' playbook and using the officer of the people, you know, and that's who he instructs. He, he delegates appropriately, and that's very helpful. He gets them ready. And, and he says, hey, this is going to happen within three days that we're going over to do this. Mm-hmm. Then in, in verse 12, there are and there are specific instructions to these two and a half tribes. So Reuben, mm-hmm. Gad, and half of Manasseh. And Joshua singles them out for a few instructions. Remind us of that history as to why Joshua is giving these particular instructions. Yeah, the book of Numbers told us that... Um, Israel had taken the land of the two great kings over there on the east side of the Jordan. The two kings of the Amorites are called there, Sihon and Og. If you remember, Og is that great big guy with a huge sarcophagus uh, or bed. Uh, And Israel conquered them. So now they got all of that land on the east side of the Jordan, and it's great grazing land for cattle and sheep and goats. Uh, to this day, it, it is for that matter. Uh, if you've ever been on the Golan Heights and so forth, that's part of part of this territory that we're talking about. 
so Reuben Gad and half of Manasseh, as I like to call them, they're the cowboy tribes, and they, they saw this land is really good for us. Uh, we would like it. So uh, Moses did give it to them with the stipulation that they wouldn't just stay there when the rest of the nation uh, went across the river to conquer the Canaanites, that the, that the fighting men of those three tribes would go over with Israel uh, the, the kids and the, the, their wives and the animals could stay on the east side, but the fighting men uh, must, must go over and help. And, and uh, that's what is happening here again. And Joshua is reminding them of that, that arrangement that they had. They had promised, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. We'll, go, we'll help the rest of Israel. Our fighting men will. Uh, and the good news is uh, that that actually happens. It doesn't show up here yet in this chapter, but they actually do cross and uh, help Israel. And near the end of um, Joshua, they get to go home. They 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 kept their promises. There, there's another thing when God keeps His promises, and these two, these three tribes, two and a half tribes kept their promises too, just as God did for them. So, I mean, this this portion of the text really does begin with a, I mean, Joshua starts really on a high note then. You know, the the death of Moses was a certainly a time of grief for the people of Israel for 30 days. And, and the question is, I think you said early on is, you know, now what? Well, with the Lord's promise to Joshua and to the people in hand, things start off really well. Joshua commands the officers, here's how we're going to proceed. He speaks to these two and a half tribes. We need your fighting men right now, and you'll get to go home later and have your rest. And and they respond like, yeah, let's let's do it, Joshua. <laughs> versus, versus 16 through 18 are, are quite, again, this is like, all right. Why, why didn't it always work like this for Israel? <laughs> yeah, why, why didn't it? Because of human nature and stubbornness. And who do you think, who do you think you are? You, you're calling yourself the leader? Are you sure you're the leader? You know, that's the way that... Uh, Israel talked to Moses and even his own brother and sister. But yes, it is so refreshing here in this chapter. Let's just bask in this, Tim, and not, not get into any negative aspects. Well, no, that doesn't work either because we need to understand the reality of human nature. And we don't always listen to the promises of God. We don't always cling to his word and meditate on it day and night. Uh, we need to club and drown that old Adam. But but when things are going according to God's plan and in obedience to his word, it is a wonderful, refreshing situation. Um, every parish pastor knows that when, the, when people and pastor are together in sync and do, carrying out the Lord's plans, and not everybody's complaining about everybody else. It's just, it's a wonderful Christian atmosphere, obviously. And it's what we, what we pray for in, in all of our congregations. Mm, yeah. Well, and even the attitude that these two and a half tribes have toward Joshua, I mean, it re- reminds me of Hebrews 13, where, where the writer there says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And this is let them do this with joy and not with groaning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and that's, I think, what you see here in Joshua chapter one. Yeah, it's right now. It's total joy. 
uh, because they are trusting in the promises of God. They are meditating on his word day and night. Um, Hallelujah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And even even it, it looks like in their response to Joshua at the very end, they provide him you know, mutual encouragement as, yeah. as he has been telling them of the promises of God. They, in like turn, say back to him, hey, be strong and courageous. It's, mm-hmm. it's like they're recalling for him everything the Lord has just said. Professor Harstad, could you just comment a little bit on how the people encourage Joshua there at the end of this chapter? Yeah, we almost think that uh, they must have been listening to God, uh, God's words to Joshua, because they come back with the same encouragement. They say at the very end here, just be strong and courageous. And before that, they speak very strong words. Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey whatever you commanded him will be put to death. So that would be treason rising up against God's appointed leader. And uh, they are there to support Joshua, and they're not going to put up with with treason among them. Just be strong and courageous. So... Yeah, they echo the words of God himself. And once again, what a refreshing arrangement we have here. Certainly. And it, it's that's still a joy in for pastors and people today when the, the pastor hears back from the congregation, the words that he's spoken to them, the words of God, what, what joy there is for the people of God to encourage their leaders just like this. With just about a minute left, Professor Harstad, help us to to wrap this up. And again, remind us what's going to be the, the great benefit to us as we read Joshua over the next several weeks. The biggest benefit is uh, that we can rely on everything that God says, <clears throat> that there are no falling words. Um, I'm going to use a, a little analogy here. That promise of God that there are no falling words, it's like God putting the best promises into bottles of wine. And at the proper time, he's going to serve each of those bottles of wine to his people. And they will be able to uh, drink their wine with a merry heart because God is fulfilling them. Not a one of those bottles is going to slip off its shelf and mash to the ground and splatter all over the place without it being fulfilled. So uh, here we are enjoying uh, the benefits of the promises of God, having seen that promise of the seed come to fruition, Jesus Christ, our Savior, uh, with whom we will drink uh, in the kingdom of heaven. Professor A.D. Harstad is professor of exegetical theology at Bethany Lutheran Theological Seminary in Mankato, Minnesota, and also the author of the commentary on the book of Joshua in the Concordia Commentary series from CPH, helping us today with Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. Professor Harstad, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Joshua, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.